Our reading this evening is made up of two psalms, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Uh, You can find them on page 567 of the Church Bible. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with a multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Immediately following on from there, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Amen. Whereas with many parts of the Bible we can learn the truth about God and how we should follow him, may not always be easy to translate that knowledge into real-life experience. Uh, What happens when we get the knocks of life? How do I deal emotionally and spiritually with the fact that I have maybe been born with a certain condition or that I am an unfortunate victim of human circumstance? How do I translate that intellectual knowledge into an emotional understanding of God and trust him? That's the great thing about the Psalms because they can speak to us in a way 
in which other passages can't. Title given to this sermon in the programme is Songs in the Night, Depressed. And Psalm 46 is one of the key psalms that deals with spiritual depression. It's the one that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used as the basis for his book entitled Spiritual Depression. I'm sure some of you here may, may have read that. I think it's a bit of an old copy, that one. And the reason we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43 together this evening is that they're commonly believed to have originally been one psalm. Certainly, Psalm 43 contains the, the same refrain. You may have noticed that as it was read out. Um, and it leads naturally on from Psalm 42 in terms of the structure and the, the development of thought. So I do hope as we uh, look at these two psalms this evening, we will maybe understand better the condition of depression, um, maybe be able to help ourselves if we are prone to depression, or maybe help others who, who suffer from it. It is a common condition. Um, apparently affects uh, 2.9 million people in the UK at any one time. And it's thought that as many as one in three people may suffer it at uh, some point in their lives. I should say from the outset, I don't uh, claim to be any particular expert on clinical depression. I'm also not speaking from the personal viewpoint of somebody who has um, suffered from depression. And so I don't want to try and make this sound this evening as simplistic. And it is, as we, as we know, as Chris mentioned, something that has many complex causes. Um, it can't be solved by a simple formula. And there's still much that remains very unclear about depression. But on the other hand, God does understand depression. After all, he's the one who made us. He is the one who knows how we function or how we malfunction in some cases. And so we should also be not too quick to dismiss what the Bible says just because it's not written as a medical journal. The Bible has a lot to say to us about all sorts of everyday issues and depression is one of those. I also want you to think that unless you suffer from depression, then this psalm has nothing to say to you this evening. Because there are lots of lessons from this psalm that we can apply to each one of us in terms of how we relate to God, um, particularly in terms of how we respond to times of difficulty. But let's look first of all at um, maybe some of the symptoms of depression that come up as we look at this passage. And the first of those I think that comes out is this sense of isolation, or of separation. The psalmist says, where can I go and meet with God? Where can I go and meet with God in verse 2? Men are saying to him, where is your God? And that's only making him feel, yeah, I don't know, where is my God? He says to God in verse 9, why have you forgotten me, God? Why have you forgotten me? In verse 2 of Psalm 43, why have you rejected me? There are many ways in life in which we can feel forgotten or rejected. I hope our son Joe has forgiven me for the time I came back from a football match and got home and the first thing Liz said to me was, have you forgotten something? I soon noticed that Joe wasn't with me. I'm sure we've all experienced the feeling of rejection at some time. It may be not being chosen for the sports team. Maybe um, not being invited to a party. Maybe being blanked by someone you thought you got on well with. Someone who you thought you were good mates with. However you may have experienced it, the danger is that, um, that that leads to a sense of worthlessness. That I'm not 
worth anything. You may have had that feeling yourself. You may even have caused that feeling in somebody by your actions without even realising it. Gary Grant um, spoke at the men's breakfast in Tame yesterday and he said how he could still remember the feeling as a young lad when he moved house and uh, peered through the chain fence at the, the end of his garden and his mother saying to him, look, look son, that's, that's the grammar school, don't even think about that, you're never going to be good enough to go there. Didn't stop him be going on to become the owner of the uh, largest private toy shop chain in the country and most importantly coming to know that he was loved by God. One thing about this psalm is that it shows that if you suffer from depression, it doesn't mean that you can't be a believer, as Chris says. The psalmist here is someone who knows God, who has had an intimate relationship with him, but at this present time, he just feels that God is remote from him. And he longs with God to be close to him, which is why he uses this strong image of thirst, which we can all understand and and relate to. that feeling as our mouths start to, to feel dry as we read these words and we see that um, picture there of the desperation of water. As we picture a deer panting for streams of water. Or if you saw that series that on TV, Human Planet, how that, an elephant that can drink 50 gallons of water a day can desperately scour a, a dried up riverbed for where there may be water under the surface. To thirst for God is to have a spiritual need for God, a need that is as desperate as someone who needs water to quench their physical thirst. The dilemma the psalmist is in here is that he knows he needs God and yet he feels far from him. It's a sense of isolation. There's secondly a feeling of powerlessness. The psalm starts here with the image of water as life. We'll have a look later on in verse 7 there because there it's described as something that is roaring and overpowering. Verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I'm sure we've been seeing the images of the tsunami in Japan and just knowing the power of water. But if you've ever done any, any water sports, uh, maybe surfing or canoeing or rafting, you may have experienced the feeling yourself of being pushed under and struggling to, to get back up to the surface. It's a horrible feeling. You're struggling against a power that is dragging you down. Joanna Swinney is a young Christian woman who suffers from depression and has written uh, this book called uh, Through the Dark Woods. She describes her first uh, major episode of depression when she um, moved from Portugal. The family was still in Portugal. Uh, there she already felt a bit of a loner. Uh, but went to, to, to a boarding school in the UK. And uh, this was at the age of, of 13. And again, she felt this sense of being alone. And um, this is just how she describes her, her feelings and um, says this. It says, initially my feelings were attached to objective facts about my situation, all of which seemed rational. One, I was homesick. Two, the girls in my dorm were being horrid, as only teenage girls know how. And three, England was bleak and grey and dark, whereas Portugal was sunny and vibrant with colour. However, gradually my misery became its own being, with a life that needed no reasons to exist. It sat in my tummy and made me feel like I had eaten rocks. It wrapped itself around my chest and made it hard to breathe. It jumped up and down in my head, poking its fingers around in my brain, making me confused. It puffed itself up 
like a cloud and obscured the light. It came everywhere with me and it stopped people from seeing who I was. Whether or not the psalmist here could do anything about the situation, the problem is that he feels he cannot do anything about it. He feels powerless to stop the waves and he's tempted to simply let himself go under. He says to God, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? It's a sense of powerlessness. And finally, and thirdly, an unhealthy introversion. As Christians, we are called to examine ourselves, to continually check how we are doing spiritually. Uh, that's a good thing to guard against complacency. Uh, to be aware of areas of weakness where we may be prone to, to temptation. But there comes a point when that, that self-examination becomes an unhealthy self-obsession. And this can be due partly to our temperament. Uh, some are more introspective than, than others. It could be due to our circumstances that have made us uh, more sensitive to, to how we are viewed by others. But it's not healthy. And in these Psalms, the words, if you count up, the number of times the words I, me or my are used in these 16 verses, it's 50 times. Self-obsession can lead to a, a loss of perspective as you start to, to overanalyze everything. Uh, one level it is useful to understand yourself, to, to understand the influences over the course of your life that have made you who you are. In the case of depression, maybe the triggers that have started that off. But there comes a point where you have to, to move on and not carry around the hurt or the blame or the anger in some ways. The emotional baggage that, that may weigh you down. In the main refrain here we see that the psalmist is, is divided in himself. There's a conversation going on between him and his soul. Have a look what it says here. Verse 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Whether or not we have suffered from depression, I'm sure we would all have known that, that voice of our inner self. As Lloyd-Jones says in his book, Spiritual Depression, I mentioned, he says, Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You haven't originated them. But they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Sometimes that inner self may make us question our value and our worth. You know, you're not really good enough. You're not clever enough to do that. You're not attractive enough for, for him or her to be interested in you. When it comes to, to extreme things like uh, voices telling you to do irrational things, then you know, you're getting into the area of, uh, of psychotic illness. But also the reason why that extreme introversion is not healthy is because the more we are wrapped up in ourselves, the more we listen to that inner voice, the less we focus on God. And often the reason why we feel God is remote from us is not because he's distanced himself from us, but we've become so self-obsessed that he doesn't even get a look in. We forget that, that he loves us, that he accepts us as we are. 
Well, having looked a little bit at these symptoms that come out in these psalms, let's have a look at um, some of the ways God encourages us to, to deal with them, some possible cures for spiritual depression. The first of those is to acknowledge God's sovereign love. And often these things are things that we need to do when things are going well. We can't start doing them in the times of darkness. We need to remember what we learnt of truth in the times when things are going well. Going back to um, verse 7, the worst thing about the way that the psalmist describes the trials of life, that the waterfalls, the waves, the breakers, are that he says to God, these are your waterfalls. Have a look there. It says, your waves and breakers. In other words, whether or not you have sent them, you have control over them, you could have stopped them, God. But the positive thing here, have a look here, is that he doesn't go on from there to say, look, if you've allowed these things to happen, then that means you can't love me. No, he moves from there to acknowledging God's love. Look at verse 8. He says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's saying, by day and night you still love me, God. You have control over my life. You, you, you will direct it according to your love and that is something we have to cling on to even when it's hard even when we can't understand why God should allow us to go through these storms of life to reassure ourselves and to reassure those who are suffering that he still loves us he still loves them we need to hang on to that secondly to remember moments of intimacy with God have a look at verse 4 this is what it says it says uh, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with a multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. We shouldn't underestimate the importance of corporate worship. Yes, in a sense, all of life is worship, but we are called to meet with God's people. We are called to come together and offer him our sacrifice of thanks of praise to him to speak to us, to receive the nourishment for our souls that we get when we come together. We don't just come here to sing a few songs or to listen to an interesting talk or maybe not so interesting. We come to meet with God. It is a spiritual experience. When can I go and meet with God, the psalmist says. He's saying, I used to do that a lot and I miss it. I hope that none of you here will backslide in your faith, but it is likely that, that some of you may do it sometime. And hold on to the moments of intimacy with God. Hopefully your baptism, if you've been baptised, is one of those. Baptism is far more than just being dunked into a pool of water. It is a spiritual encounter with God. Or communion. It's more than just... a taking a little bit of bread and uh, a sip of of grape juice. It's an encounter with God. As you young people will uh, no doubt at some stage uh, move away from home, I hope when you you find a church for yourselves that um, it's one where you can go and meet with and engage with God. Because at the end of the day, that is what matters most, that in the teaching, in the worship, you come to know God in a deeper way. Thirdly, speak to your inner self rather than allow it to speak to you. This is something which um, 
Lloyd-Jones emphasizes in his book. As we said earlier, there's this conversation going on between the psalmist and his soul in the refrain. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He says to his inner self, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Don't allow that inner self to tell you what to do. Don't allow him to tell you that you're worthless or deceive you into thinking that either God isn't here or he doesn't love you. Tell the inner voice what you know to be true. Going back to this book from Joanna Swinney, she said that in the midst of her first bout of depression, her her mum wrote to her the following words. She says she wrote to them um, with great wisdom and insight. This is... uh, what her mum wrote to her, she said, uh, you must fight your feelings of depression, Joe. They allow you to believe things about yourself and life and God that are not true. They damage your faith and your trust in God and they make them melt away like snow on a sunny day and they damage you and make it very difficult for people to come close to you. Resist the temptation to get locked up inside yourself. But she says, fighting and resisting came much later though. For a while I was defeated. It is a fight. Psalm 43 talks about deceitful and wicked men. It talks about the enemy. And we're reminded in Ephesians 6 that we are in a spiritual battle. How we all continually need to put on the spiritual armour, the, the armour of God to, to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You've seen the film The Matrix, which is um, a little bit violent, but uh, it's interesting, the uh, Christian imagery, imagery that comes up in that film. Uh, there's this um, guy, Nero, who's, who's on a mission to save humanity and comes up against somebody who wants to stop him. Uh, and they have this fierce fight in the course of which Nero realises who this enemy is. He realises that actually it is his inner self. It's preventing him from going on his mission to save humanity and he ends up having to kill his inner self if he's going to complete his mission. You may remember when Peter tries to stop Jesus achieving his mission when Jesus tells him that he's going to die. Peter says to him, you can't possibly do that. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Don't stop me doing the mission I've come to do. He knew that Satan was using Peter to thwart him in that mission. Speak to your inner self rather than allow it to speak to you. And in order to be able to do that, we need to know what to say to our inner self, which brings us on to the final point, which is to ask God for light and truth. Have a look at verse 3 of uh, Psalm 43. Psalm says, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Our first song this evening we sang, Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Darkness is the image in the Bible used to describe a world, a world that doesn't know God, a world that cannot see God, a world that is stumbling along, finding its own way. A bit like when you go camping for those uh, campers among you and you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the loo. You can't find your torch. There's always a, a guy rope just where you didn't expect it, isn't there? 
Don't let that put you off coming to the big church day out. The psalmist says, send forth your light. Send forth your truth. Let them guide me so I can see where I'm going. Where am I going to? To your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. I want to know the way to get there. It's when the the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the light of the gospel, that we understand truth. We understand that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And that by trusting in him, we can come to the Father. But the shining of that light is not just a one-off event that happens when we're saved, like it happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. As believers, we need that light to continue to shine in our lives. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, if you want just to turn with me to uh, Ephesians um, chapter 1, let's have a look at the, the prayer that Paul prays for them. Uh, he's praying here for believers, a church uh, in Ephesus. That's what he says in uh, chapter 1, this page 1173 of the church Bibles. Verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He carries on, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In the midst of the darkness of depression, the light that comes from Jesus has faded. It's been like a torch. His battery is running out. We need to be continually reminded of the hope that we have, the riches of his glorious inheritance, his incomparably great power. And that is how the psalmist here with renewed purpose and joy can say in verse 4 of Psalm 43, he can say, then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. As we come towards the end, if you are struggling with depression or spiritual darkness at this time, whether mild or or serious that may be, if you know somebody who is struggling with it, then pray that they will be able to do this. They will be able that they will be able to remember God's love. That they will be able to remember those times of intimacy with him. Pray that he would shine his light anew into your life or or their lives. And pray that he would give you the power to fight your inner self if it tries to make you question God's goodness and his love for you. Say to your inner self, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God.